Call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup. Mobile. Hey. Hey, man. You, um, you all set up? I am all set up. We, uh, we had company come over. Um, somebody that's in our quarantine pod. <laughs> and so I don't know if you guys do this, uh, but everything went into our guest bedroom, which is also the podcast studio, which is also Chelsea's, uh, pandemic classroom. So yeah. I, <laughs> I am surrounded by items, <laughs> a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, that's so move that into the rest of the house and that's how I feel most days. <laughs> yeah. Just disperse it everywhere. Yeah. Um, you sent me a picture of, uh, and we'll just keep all this in, but, uh, you sent me a picture of, a a removed cow head recently. Um, did you get the skin and bones or not bones, but the skin and tissue off of that? I did. Well, I got all the, all the skin off of it. And then the next step will be, I'll have to in a large cauldron boil it. I'm when I showed Chelsea the picture without giving her any warning about it. Um, I guessed that it was for Beth's, uh, retail space down in South Carolina. Is that what you're doing it for? You know, I don't prob I don't know. Probably. But it's decorative, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Like and I've got a couple of the Rams horns and oh. stuff that we've put up before. Oh, that's cool. That, yeah. I don't know what I was listening to recently, but uh I'm sure this is gonna be real uplifting, but did you know that like the human organs fully decompose in like like three to five days or something like that? I didn't know I didn't know what the span would be, but I am very amazed at how quickly I've seen animal carcasses decompose when they're when they're covered. Like how weird is that? Yeah, there are so many creatures that do the work that no one else would want to do and they thrive in it, you know, like <laughs> imagine if that was your assignment. I mean, luckily you have very little cognition. Uh, so you're just a bundle of impulses, right? Just like find food, eat food. <laughs> yeah. And it just so happens to be, uh, that I was heard heard someone talking the other day about like why um, basically why crocodiles so survived when a lot of during the time when a lot of the other reptiles or whatever went extinct and it's because they can thrive on eating rotten flesh. <laughs> so there was like a buffet or smorgasbord <laughs> for them. <laughs> okay, well. Yeah, I mean, one benefit of being a like maggot would be, I don't think at any point a maggot says, why am I doing this? 
what's the point in this? Right. <laughs> no existential yeah. wrestling, just just eating. No, it's no deep breaths and just, uh, just <laughs> another Tuesday. <laughs> no, uh, no. Dale, do you ever just do you ever just wonder what what it all means? <laughs> His buddy's like, no, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> no crocodile swims up to its other its other buds and says, uh, "I'm just gonna have like a self care day." I just think self-care is really important right now for me. Right. I'm just in a season with, um, anyway. Well. Hit record. You ready? <laughs> it's all going in, brother. Um, I, I guess all of that randomness is not totally uh, separate from the themes of Lent, at least uh, kind of peripherally, but, you know, Lent does begin tomorrow. Tomorrow's Ash Wednesday. And um and as we sort of approach this season, uh been talking with you, been talking with tons of folks from church, trying to figure out ways that we could kind of explore these themes this year. Obviously we're separate, we're still not gathering corporately. Um and Sarah Kay, uh Mooney from church, who's brilliant, sort of had this this idea of engaging with art um, throughout all of Lent. She she does a thing already with um, sending out poems each week of Lent in the same way she does for Advent. Um, but she, she wanted to do something similar, but instead of it just being poetry, she wanted people from church who are in their own way artists or that engage with art at a high level um, to sort of explore the themes of Lent um, each week. And so... We're gonna kind of do that this week. We're gonna I'm gonna read a um a piece that Richard Rohr wrote on Lent here in a minute. Um and then and Steve and I will will talk about it after after I read it. But each week after this, there there's gonna be uh different forms, different art that we sort of engage with. And so there'll be emails that are sent out that have the if it's visual, then you know, obviously we'll have to um get that out to folks. But then we'll engage with it here on the podcast feed. Um, with the people that that picked it or curated it or created it themselves, um, and so it's it's something that I'm I'm really excited to do because it feels uh, at once like us and um, and meaningful to us and also um, somehow new and fresh and hopefully it's you know it means something to the folks that that listen to this that are not a part of neighborhood but are kind of peripherally um, care about the church so. Anyway, I'm I'm excited about it, uh, Steve. I know you are too. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a great idea, and it's just a it fits well for the for the Lent season. Um, and all yeah, the and, and all the people that are that are doing stuff for it, um, I'm really excited to hear from them and to see their perspective because they have so much to offer us personally, but also kind of corporately. It's I just think it's really important for them to be heard. Definitely. All right. Well, I'll read this piece now, and uh, and then we'll talk here in a second. Did you ever notice that Jesus does not tend to give what we would call inspiring or motivational talks? He's not a football coach, nor does he try to engage your willpower as such. 
Your common Christian sense would deny this until you actually study his recorded gospel messages and see that it's factually true. Jesus is much more concerned about shaking your foundations, giving you an utterly alternative self-image, world image, and God image, and thus reframing your entire reality. Mere inspiration can never do this. If you depend on being emotionally inspired or newly motivated, you'll need a fix most every day. If it's a true gospel message, it will be more about regrounding, reshaping, and redirecting you from your core. Thus, the quintessential Lenten reading is Jesus' first public proclamation that we know of. In some ways, it summarizes everything he says. Now is the time. God's reign is present. Change your life and believe some very good news. Mark 1.15, my translation. Yes, we do need an emotional charge to make most decisions, adopt specific behaviors, quote, give up candy for Lent, unquote, or make some changes in our life. But Jesus is not talking about changes. He's talking about change. Many changes might well be good and even needed, and surely some changes will result from any shaking of the foundations. But they are not what we mean by biblical conversion or transformation, changing the form itself. These things do not change the seer as such, but only his or her acceptable self-image, and usually for a short while. It's the old and perennial problem of putting the cart before the horse, or thinking that lots of carts or changes will eventually create the horsepower. It never finally works. Any appeal to willpower or even the presentation of some good new ideas merely engages you but at your present level of maturity and consciousness. Now you, in your old form, try harder, think more or better, and do something different, but your you has not been changed in any substantial way. It's still you who try harder, think more or better, or do something different. Maybe this will get you into the right ballpark for eventual and actual conversion, but in my experience, most people stay right where they are, and wait for the next motivational spiritual message. This is why so much organized religion is so ineffectual in actually changing people. As the AA people say, religion usually depends far too much on promotion instead of attraction. The old self needs constant promotional material to keep it going. The new self, hidden with Christ in God like Paul says, is both attracted and attractive just by being itself. A transformed self engenders life from within, pulls life from without, and channels life in outer directions, without trying. The essential religious question is always this. You must get your who right. Who is the subject here? Who is doing the acting, the loving, the motivating, the repenting? Is little old me doing this or not doing this? All mature religion is somehow talking about finding your God self your Christ self, your Buddha self, your Sufi dance. And when it happens, you know it was not a change after all, but a wondrous discovery and constant rediscovery of what was always true anyway. After transformation, one realizes that one is a participant and always has been. It is being done unto me, through me, with me, and for me. Until we realize and act from this larger I am, there has been no essential transformation, but only an accessorizing of the old outfit. 
For many of us, this change of form is summed up rather perfectly in Paul's often quoted line, I live no longer my own life, but the life of Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2.20 Choosing this or that religious form is often nothing more than a delay tactic, avoiding our participation in a ride that is already happening beneath, before, and beyond all of the forms. And this ride is much larger than me. Paul again says shortly thereafter, it does not matter whether one is circumcised or not. What matters is that you become an altogether new creation. Galatians 6.15 The big rub is that to surrender my singularity and fall into this altogether new creation will always feel like dying. How could it not? It is a dying of the self that we thought we were, but it's the only self we knew until then. It will indeed be a revolution of the mind. Ephesians 4.23 Heart and body will soon follow. This is the real, quote, try harder, unquote, that applies to Lent. And its ultimate irony is that it is not a trying at all, but an ultimate surrendering, dying, and foundational letting go. You will not do it yourself, but it will be done unto you, Luke 138, by the events of your life. Such a deep allowing is the most humiliating, sacrificial, and daily kind of trying. Pep talks seldom get you there, but the suffering of life and love itself will always get you there. Lent is just magnified and intensified life. So when you sent this essay to me, um, you mentioned in the email that you were in the process of writing something original. And when you read this, you said that it kind of captured in your words, not mine, but in a better way, what it was that you were trying to articulate, which right. Roar would do that to any of us, you know, <laughs> for sure. But um, just kind of a big question, but what, I mean, what was it that, that really spoke to you about this then? What was the thing that you were trying to chip away at that you felt that this essay really got to? Yeah. I mean, to, to go with what you just said, I think anytime my sermon process for when uh, I used to write those things was, you know, I do all this study and spend time with the text and write a bunch of stuff and take notes and read commentaries. And um, towards the end of the week, inevitably, um, I'll find something that Roar has said or a sermon of his or something. It's usually like, you know, a few paragraphs or like a sermon that's 10 minutes. And he said everything that I wished that I could say, you know, like he summarizes so much of what I'm trying to do so quickly and so much more profoundly, obviously he's a master. Um, but so there's that just in general where I feel like he says things better than I'm able to. But specifically with this, I think I was being too broad and trying to do too much, try to kind of incorporate every theme of Lent and, um, you know, I, I, sent you something today that I ended up publishing talking about Lent and Ash Wednesday and the inevitability of our death and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately, I think the thing that's most important for this, or at least the question that I, I'm always trying to ask is like, what of this is just me being self-referential or me trying to, uh, to do too much for the sake of, you know, doing something well versus what's 
pastorally tender, like pastorally uh, effective or um, or useful to people. You know, I try to think about individual folks that go to our church that are friends of ours in hearing this. If I, you know, if I'm reading this message to them or if I'm preaching this message in a room of one or two people, do those people find any use in it? And I think what Roar does here in this really gets to the heart of what we're talking about because he, you know, he talks about um, all the tropes of Lent of like giving up candy or something or like the, the kind of dumb exercising of our egos, you know, like our, our willpower to try to change individual things in our life or whatever. Um, and so much of that kind of stuff, it, it just, you know, it, it, it's grating to me. It doesn't, it doesn't ever really get into any depth with us. Like it never, it never makes its way into the core of us and changes who we are. It's just like window dressing. I think he says at one point, it's like, uh, he says something about like, it's putting a new, uh, accessory on an old outfit or something like that. It's just, it, it, it is doing nothing. And I know we're not talking specifically about how pragmatic Lent is. He, we're not talking about Lent as some sort of instrument towards our growth. Um, but, but I do think that if we are going to engage this thing, that it is important that we're talking about, um, like our real selves, like our, our hidden with Christ and God self and not these little selves and ego projections and things. And so I guess that's the, that's the thing primarily that, that jumps out to me is just how important it is that we, that the right us that's engaging in this is engaged and not, you know, not the wrong one. It's like the, I think it's St. Francis's prayer it's like, may it be the real I that prays and the real thou that I pray to or something. Like that we're approaching this from our real self. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I know that I know that it would be um I know that it would be easy to sound maybe pretentious or whatever in even attempting to answer this question, but but like what what does Lent look like when the wrong self participates in in your mind. Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest analog is the kind of thing where some of the most disciplined people that I know that spend the most time in prayer and read the Bible, the most memorize the most scripture, you know, like the, the like Christian Olympic kind of stuff, like have a propensity and have a capability and, and display an ability to be as evil or more evil than anyone that I know, you know, that they, all of their moral striving, all of their like, um, discipline put into the life of faith. It, what, what comes out on the other end of it, it's not the fruit of the spirit. It's, you know, it's ugliness and it's more insulated because they feel a sense of moral superiority. They feel kind of, um, their ego is hidden beneath a lot more layers. And so with something like Lent, um, I think the, I think the, the danger is that this is just like basically the Super Bowl of that kind of thing. And so ultimately it's not just futile. It, it can become like, it can do harm to your soul 
rather than produce good things. So I think it's important that we we reshape and and, and reframe Lent in a way that is, you know, that it, it, it takes all of that stuff off the table. Not that fasting is not important, but if you do fasting wrongly, it's, you know, it's not just a neutral thing. It's actually worse. One of the things that has been strange to me over the last, I'd say, I don't know, three or four years um, when it comes to Lent is that fasting itself is the center of the action and the conversation. I know that goes against you know, church tradition that has gone back for quite some time, you know, and it's just, it's been the, the act um, of giving up something for, for 40 days. But I almost think that it betrays the heart of the story of Lent. Mm-hmm. Like, um, because when, if we attach it, and this goes and and you'll see this this is definitely goes along with everything that you've been saying mm-hmm. um, but when we attach it to the originally to the story of Jesus's um forty day period in the desert where he was tempted um you know and and of course that story begins by letting us know that he has he was fasting for that period of time, but that is just very peripheral to the to the story Mm -hmm. you know and for whatever reason we've taken one element out of that story and adapted that as the central portion of this season and so it is it's just this exercise in self-discipline it's like okay can i give up fill in the blank for for 40 days as a you know even even with good intentions it's still it's still not hitting at the heart of what that narrative is about and at its worst it is just this futile act of what looks like self-discipline but is actually probably what arrogance yeah 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 um as a way to to prove your to prove your spirituality through through restricting um you know, something in your life. And again, all of that is so good. I mean, like, let's talk about the need for, for fasting and the need for spiritual disciplines and all of those things. But when it comes to Lent, part of me almost says, okay, that's, that's not for, for this season. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the temptation story was all about Jesus discovering like ridding himself of himself and discovering who he was and how he would be in the world basically what type of christ presence would he bring into the world mm-hmm. yeah what type and of that, what type of messiah is he going to be yeah and that discovery was not about okay well i will be one with the willpower <laughs> right right the last right. 40 days yeah as if that's because, the point of the story and and just to go back just a second, it, it it goes in both like it cuts both directions. It's it's either the willpower, and it's not just it's not just like uh what we're not saying is like if you're just cutting out chocolate, what you really need to be doing is cutting out all food or something. Like you need to make it more intense. It's it that's 
it's the whole it's the whole thing. It's the way that you engage the entire thing. And so whether you're trying to uh, prove to yourself or others that you are uh, disciplined enough to be able to pull this off, or if you're trying to, you know, twist the arm of God into noticing you or hearing your prayers or whatever because of your kind of uh, ability to stick with something, it's unhealthy from the jump in either one of those cases. Yeah. And yeah. So like, yeah, say you give up chocolate for 40 days. um, It's always with the intention of re-implementing it back into your life. As soon as the 40 day period is over. Um, When we look at the true, when we look at the things that, that Jesus faced in that wilderness period, they were things that he rejected as being part of who he was in the world. And so like, you know, when he was tempted to, uh, you know, jump off the the highest point of the mountain and let the angels save him. It's like, it's not that he rejected that in that moment, only to fully re-implement that into his <laughs> life after the Lent season. As soon as the you tempter know. leaves, I'm I'm doing swan dives off of this. Yeah, yeah, and it's, oh, I can't wait till Lent is over so I can turn all the stones into bread, you know? Yeah. Like, it was a, you know, and we we don't even need to, we don't have time to really maybe get into what all of those truly mean, but I think the larger point to this is that, like, what, it, it's like those three temptations, the way that he responded became a lens through which all of life was viewed Mm -hmm. and so like i think to me at least and again it's it's not saying i can't say this enough it's not we're not saying that giving up something for lent or fasting is a bad i mean it's it's a wonderful thing and implement more discipline in your life you know sure but but to me lent has become more about what thing will do i need to implement in my life in a way that transforms the way that I am in the world during this period, but also therefore, you know, going forward in a way that then leads to a more Christ-like presence in the world. Yeah. If, if you're doing it from the, you know, the right vantage point, if you're, if you are engaging in it in the right way and not trying to, use it as kind of means to some end or whatever, and you're not trying to puff yourself up with it, then it does become this beautiful thing where when you limit yourself from some vice or whatever it is, like, or you, um, you take something away just to interrupt your rhythms and that kind of thing. And you are willing to face the reality of, you know, your own brokenness or your own, um, mortality or whatever it is. And, you allow it to kind of move you into, like you said, being the kind of Christ presence in the world. Um, then it's this really beautiful thing that that happens with it. And I think that's what, that's what you know when we read Isaiah fifty eight and it talks about, um, you know, is this not the kind of fast that I want uh, to loose the the chains of uh, of pr- the prisoners and to set the captives free and that kind of thing? If if in your fasting you just emerge, you know, a more fortified ego, then, you know, you've, you've wasted your time, uh, and, and you've become worse 
but if you allow it to move you into kind of faithful action, like liberation kind of stuff on the other side of it, and you carry the presence of Jesus with you, and the presence of Jesus is the presence that sets the captive free and opens blind eyes and, you know, gives away all your money to the poor and all, all of those kind of things, then, then yes, you do all of it. Right, because, yes, fasting is part of that story, but you don't, you don't fast in order to become better at fasting. Right. Like, like what fasting did in the role of the, like the temptation narrative was, you know, it, that was a, it was like, it was a discipline that opened up Jesus, you know, both spiritually and physiologically to receive the deeper meaning that the spirit was, was trying to give in that moment. So like it became, um, it became a tool that opened his receptivity yeah. of, of the new lens that the spirit was trying to implement into his life. Yeah. I mean, the gospel says that the spirit, like straight after he finds out who he is, you're my son, you're, you know, in whom I love and I'm well pleased, uh, right out of the water of baptism, it says, and the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. So it, right. it is the spirit who carries you there. And, you know, if you feel the kind of the urging or inkling toward it, it I do think it's the spirit wooing us out there and guiding us there. Um, and, you know, Eugene Peterson always talked about provenience, which is like this, this idea that God is out ahead of you working before you even show up in a place or whatever. And that that was a, a special thing for him or an important part of the way he viewed things. And so I do think God wants to meet you there. We talk about the desert mothers and fathers and that kind of thing. This removing uh, yourself from whatever it is, like some kind of hedonistic, uh, you know, capitalistic, aggressive empire kind of thing that you're in, this world that you're in and trying to put yourself in a place where you willfully remove things, um, it does both, like you said, spiritually and physiologically open you to hearing new things. I, I read something the other day or heard it on a podcast. It was probably a podcast talking about how, um, like when, when we limit both, uh, like light interference or sound interference, how, like how attuned we can be to small changes in our environment. And so obviously, you know, flicker of light in the darkness can be seen forever. Um, small, subtle changes, some bird chirp or whatever in the middle of the forest or um, in a place where you've quieted yourself is a, a, a huge disturbance and, and disturbance in the, in the best way of your field of sound or what, however you would describe it. Um, but, you know, if you're in the middle of a city, you will not hear a bird chirp. You will not. Right. And so like removing sound, removing light, artificial light or whatever. So you can see true light and hear true sound, hear the whisper behind you. This is the way walk in it or hear the, you know, the still small voice or whatever from scripture. It is going to require removing things. Yeah, it wasn't just, it wasn't a random choice of setting that the spirit led Jesus to in that moment. For after sure. The, after the baptism, it, it was 
it was necessary to to experience the wilderness in a way that stripped everything else away i i know i i know i talk about this a lot but but if we if we kind of understand that 40 day period of jesus's life as as a reperformance of the the wilderness wanderings of the israelites yeah um you know i Again, I know I say this a lot, but it's, there's a reason. There was a reason that the Israelites didn't just become a transformed people within the context that they were already in, that they needed the silence of the wilderness in order to understand the type of of people and the type of world that they were being called to be and to create. Um, I think that's so important what you just said, that – that they you need the silence you need the suffering you need the the stripping away of the distractions in order to hear and think and feel clearly yeah i mean jesus comes out of the water of baptism hears those words his identity never changes in the wilderness it's just how that how that identity is going to find expression and same mm-hmm. same with same with israel in the wilderness they they're the children of Abraham. They're, you know, the people that God's favor, blessing rests on or whatever. Um, th- that identity is set, but how how is that going to be expressed in the world? And that o- that kind of thing only gets worked out in the wilderness. Yeah, I mean, it's been several, several weeks now, but uh, we talked about you know, Moses's call and, and you talked specifically about how that was only possible as he spent time in solitude in the, in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Lent is it's, I mean, you know, it's an opportunity um, even in the midst of the craziness of, you know, this past year or whatever we, you would think that, lack of distraction would be easier as people are more confined and um, un- have been unable to fill their lives maybe with the the normal distractions of you know social gatherings all that sort of stuff but but maybe it would if we if we notice we are very good at filling the void of lack of distraction with distraction oh I mean I, there's nothing. Like I, I used to, cause all through college, I didn't have a smartphone. Um, and if I had to sit in a tire store for an hour in a, like a, you know, waiting room, I, I wanted to bash my head through a wall. And <laughs> now if you told me, yeah, your, your car's going to be getting work done and you're going to have to be somewhere for four hours. I'm like, it's no problem. No issue. Like none. Didn't you, uh, I th- I might be outing you on this, but I think one time you told me that when you're driving, you're almost glad when you hit a red light. Yeah, that was a that was like a, a rock bottom point for me. Uh, I, I I may have even said it publicly, but yeah, like excited about red lights because okay, I can sort through these text messages. I can uh, look at that thing I'm meant to look at. I try to not look at my phone when I'm driving, but uh, 
yeah, I'm not proud of it at all. But well, and and you're obviously not alone in in that. And you know, and the point is not, of course, just to you know uh, create the easy straw man of social media or or whatever. But like the fact is. You know, I, I think one of the most important things that we can do during this Lent season is is again not not just maybe like give up a smartphone for forty days just to you know, lust after it on that forty first day. But it's like how do we create the space to listen to the spirits leading? leading us into places that need to be fully transformed. Yeah. Well, I, I'm really anxious to, to see how this whole process goes with, with Lent and just seeing the kinds of thoughts and themes and things that we get to wrestle with. And uh, I am anxious to, to, um, to see the stuff that people curate and, and bring. And um, I, I've been having some conversations for the last few weeks about it and, I'm excited. We, we've got people that are going to present dance pieces that I, you know, have no clue how to even engage with that form of art, but I'm excited to learn and, um, you know, visual stuff and photography. And, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's going to be interesting. And, uh, even, <laughs> even if it flops, I think it's worth trying. So, well, cool, man. I'm, I'm excited about all this. And I, I think, uh, I think we'll get to explore this stuff from a different angle this year. And, um, I, you know, it's all vitally needed. It's, it's, it's striking me specifically, uh, like in some new ways this year, as I'm reading stuff about Lent and, um, different texts and things like that. And obviously the year that we just lived is, uh, in the rear view, but still, still with us. And so I think all the themes of Lent are really important for us to, to wrestle with right now, obviously. So. All right. Looking forward to it. Yeah, man. All right. All right. All right. <laughs>